sleep. <laughs> um, so this is my dear friend, Monica Brennan, and um, I met her when I moved away to Tennessee when I was 18, and she started discipling me at that point, and we met through physical school. Her husband, Louis, was um, teaching the, like, all the Bible study um, courses there. And then later we started going to the same church, and then he became our pastor um, later on. And um, so I always love spending time with her. I soak up any time I can get, even on the phone. It's always an encouragement to me. Just very godly woman and just full of. I, I don't know. I think something that's always impressed me about Monica is just she just so wants whatever the father's heart wants and it just like rubs off on me spending time with her and so um, I was so excited when um, she got a chance to come yeah, here and I've been kind of me too. pushing <laughs> for her to come for a while and, and um, so anyway yeah, yeah. thank so you thank you and <laughs> I think Heather I've mentioned it to a lot of you guys Heather has talked to her parents, her family, her hometown, and her church up so much that I think most of Memphis is like, we're missing out. <laughs> I, I really do. I mean, you should be, you know, cheering up for Marquette. And <laughs> okay, so do you guys mind if I just hold her for a few minutes until no, she's in a deep sleep? And then whatever you're comfortable with. Hey. Perfect. She's not just, I told Heather, as long as she's not distracting, we'll keep her in there. But this is pretty not distracting, <laughs> except maybe cuteness. Are you turned on? I want to check. It's because I know that Emily really I, wanted to hear this when oh, she was downstairs. I, I turned her on. If somebody hugged her hard, they might <laughs> Esther could have tapped it, right? If the red light's on, I'll take a hard hug. <laughs> yep, red light's on. We're set. Okay. Yeah. All right. And um, and I don't think this is blocking it, right? To no, to record. Okay. Not at all. Okay, well, oh, I need, <laughs> I need my phone for a time clock, or you guys will just talk with me for the whole night, because as John found out last night, <laughs> I'd say sure, but I don't think sure mine's talking with me the whole night. <laughs> Poor John, I think, has a limit to how much he wants to, you know, right, well, stay up is chatting. The, where is the microphone? It's right, I'm, no, it's oh, loose right there, so I don't great. think it's, okay. You don't catch it then. If she starts snoring, we can hear cute snores in the recording. <laughs> It'll be cute. It will be because we're talking about adoption, and she's adopted, so maybe that'll just stir someone's heart. Um, so, um, I Heather, uh, I think, is the one that mentioned, why don't you talk about adoption Friday night? And so, I, um, you know, we've... By God's grace, that's exactly what it's been, and His miracles, gotten to adopt twice now, and um, and so while I would love to sit here and just tell story after story of what God's done and just all the little details of what He's done and really the miracles of what He's done, I felt like it was really important first that we just talk about the doctrine of adoption. And doctrine, the word doctrine can make it sound really heady and boring, but there's no way anything involving God can be boring, right? So so I think the reason why that's important is because the church is called 
to adopt, to care for the orphan, to be a part of orphan care in so many different ways. And if we don't know what we're representing when we do that action, then we can't accurately represent it. So I think what's important is that we first talk about what the real adoption is. The, and what I mean by real is the, the adoption that will last for all of eternity. And, um, and that's the adoption of the Father, the Heavenly Father, of his children, those that receive his forgiveness. And so while many of us, because we know the gospel, already have concepts of this, I think just going through the scriptures, what it does is it establishes in me an even bigger picture of true adoption, eternal adoption. And then when I go to adopt or go to, you know, give money to a friend that's adopting or go to an orphanage and and care, then I'm accurately walking out what is eternal, which will then show the world the eternal. And that's why we as Christians care for the orphan. That's why we get married, right? Because marriage is meant to show Christ in the church to the world. So similarly to marriage showing Christ in the church to the world and therefore showing the gospel to the world, Adoption, when we walk it out in the various ways, it shows the gospel to the world and then ends up, it ends up furthering the kingdom and accomplishing eternal tasks rather than just being a good deed. When we came back from Hong Kong, there was somebody on the plane with us that was adopting um, a little girl from Hong Kong and going through the same struggles we were of the kid rejecting one of the spouses. And they were going through hardships and still doing good. Do you see what I'm saying? But the difference is their aim wasn't to show God glorified, God adopting, God's heart for his children, and therefore why we were going to push through on a kid that was tearing me up alive. I mean, I know, I know I'm an emotional person, so I can be dramatic, but I'm not exaggerating. She ate me up, <laughs> and she was worth every bit of it. She is, she's quickly becoming one of my best friends, and she's always been one of my favorite people. Um, so... Um, All that to say that I want to talk about that for a little while, but I would love afterwards, if you're considering adopting, thank you, um, or if you, because that's not the only way way to care for the orphan from James, right? Um, If you're considering being a part of helping somebody else adopt or caring for orphans in any capacity as the church, um, I'd love to talk more after we get done you know, just, just dialogue about that, and then I can get to share all my cute little stories of my sweet Hannah, my sweet Esther, and my other two older sons that oh, were sanctified through it, too. <laughs> sanctified. Um, and so I was going to tell you, this black one is the closest thing to a family photo we have right now. Esther's grown, but somebody snapped that around Easter, so we had gotten her um, in March. And then this other one, this is neat. This, thanks, Jess, right? Yeah. Thank you, Jess. Um, this, this is the day that we got Hannah. So you don't know it, but I'm having my first best day with Hannah for a long time. The day, the day I met her, she really liked me. <laughs> 
And then, and then we went through all kinds of things that, um, man, that just gave me a chance to be God, God's character towards her. So she's real smiley and happy and happy to see us there. And, uh, you know, was, was touching Lewis's goatee, kind of like Esther did your beard last night, thinking, what is this? Because, you know, she'd never had a relationship with a man before. And um, so that was really fun. And is in Israel and Gabriel, my uh, older two that are biological, um, they, uh, they were embracing it. They did such a good job of, of adopting. And so that's them at Hong Kong. She adored them. And, and, you know, we got to go to the little amusement park there. And that's her before we adopted her. So that's, that's just a bunch of Hannah, Hannah pictures. Um, so also if you are the type to not be able to handle it if a fill in the blank you miss one of them there's answers at the very bottom because <laughs> I'm a type A and it would drive me crazy to miss an answer okay so alright so let's look at Ezekiel Ezekiel 16 1 through 7 says again the, the word of the Lord came to me son of man make known to Jerusalem her abominations and say thus says the Lord to Jerusalem your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite and as for your birth on the day you were born and your cord was not cut Sorry, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were, your, were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. No, I pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out on the open field, for you were abhorred on the day that you were born. And when I, this is the Lord talking, and when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field, and you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. In this passage, Israel has continued to be rebellious to the Lord, and now they've been taken off into captivity. And God speaks these words through Ezekiel and is trying to help Israel understand their unfaithfulness to him. And he starts by explaining Israel's origin. Their heritage is from pagan parents. They were unwanted, abandoned, helpless, and hopeless. No eye pitied them. No hand had compassion on them. They were abhorred, the scriptures say, Abhorred means to regard with disgust, hatred, detest, hate, loathe, despise, shrink back from, recoil from, shudder at. It's so important for for Israel and specifically here for the Israelites in Jerusalem to understand where they started. Because they were, I think, very proud at times of their... Um, God making them, you know, different. They knew they had the one true God and that he picked them out. And God reminds them of their origin. And when he does this, when he explains them as being from pagan parents, nothing to brag about. You know, he's like, you were from the Hittites and the Amorites. 
Okay? Because that's where Jerusalem originally was from before David captured uh, them in uh, 2 Samuel. And so he says... You were nothing to brag about. You were from the from pagan parents. You were unwanted, abandoned, helpless, hopeless. No, I pitied you. You were abhorred. He's using strong language, and it is accurate language. People walked past you and detested you. They they were disgusted, but I walked past you and said, "Live." Right? And we'll talk about that in a second. So, it, what's important about this doctrine of adoption? It's a, it's a piece of the gospel story. And the reason why it's so important is because, because it's a piece of the gospel story, it is our origin. Um, it's, it's, it's a description of where we've all started out. This isn't just the Israelites. This is mankind's birth. We all started out as orphans. And we'll look at some scriptures that show that in a minute. But the problem is, if you're like me, you started out as an orphan, but you didn't know it because you were prideful. A lot of times people think that orphans, when you adopt them, that they think, we're just talking about this, oh, thank you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for taking me out of that pit. Thank you so much for giving me a family and a home. They do not. Okay, some of them do. I remember, um, it might have been Stephen Curtis Chapman talking about one of his daughters and how thankful she was and how much that just really inspired them that they should have that attitude. That was not our experience, okay? Um, There is some street smarts that a kid develops when they are on their own and they have to puff up to survive, you know? And so there's an arrogance, you know, of... No, I'm the boss. And I know we see that in all of our children, biological and adoptive, but there's a special a special arrogance um, that you develop when you have to fight for yourself because there's no one to take care of you. Even if you're in a foster home, you know you don't have a mom or a dad. You know it. And you fight for yourself. So it doesn't just have to be an orphanage. So... That is a physical representation of our heart spiritually. This was a part of the gospel that I did not get, even though I had received the message of the gospel and answered it. I didn't get this, and so I think my worship was a little more shallow, maybe a lot more shallow than it should have been because I didn't understand my origin. When you understand your origin, you worship all the harder, don't you? You know, it's so God is so much bigger as we keep understanding Him more in the Bible, right? So... Um, when we leave the origin out, we um, have a more shallow vision of the gospel. So number one in your notes, you were an orphan. We see that picture laid out for us in Ezekiel 16, 1 through 5. And I'm going to just assume, um, I'm just going to address us, assuming that we all have received God's forgiveness and become a child of God. But I just want to also encourage that, you know, if, if for some reason anybody in this room is not in Christ, that um, you are an orphan <laughs> rather than you were an orphan. And, um, and that uh, the beauty of the gospel is all it takes is a bent knee to God's forgiveness, right? Mm-hmm. And you will be an orphan no longer, right? All right, so... I'm going to use language assuming that we have all bent the knee and received God's forgiveness and become his child. So you were an orphan. Let me read from this book, Adopted for Life. It's so helpful. Um, It's so helpful because he is not afraid. Something we learned is that when you adopt, 
Um, just like marriage, the world has a lot to say about marriage and the family and how you should do it. And the world has a lot to say about how you should do adoption. But as Christians, a lot of times we start from the world's thinking as the starting point and bring it into the church and, and then do things within the church the world's way and don't even really think about it because we think this is just the logical way of thinking and doing. That's what everybody around me outside this church is doing. And so um, I think that it's important that we, like we said, understand what the Bible says about adoption and have that as our framework for adoption. And this, this author is the first one that said this stuff and gave me the, because I am not as confident as I should be, gave me the confidence to say, no, this is what God's word says about adoption. And so I encourage you to read this book if you want to have that framework going into caring for orphans. Okay, this passage is going to be graphic, and I'm a woman and don't like graphic. So I just feel the need to to warn my sisters. All right, so imagine for a moment that you're adopting a child. As you meet with the social worker in the last stage of the process, you're told that this 12-year-old has been in and out. No children can hear me, right? Okay. In and out of psychotherapy since he was three. He persists in burning things and attempting repeatedly to skin kittens alive. He acts out sexually, the social worker says, although she doesn't really feel you in on what that means. She continues with a little family history. This boy's father, great-grandfather, grandfather, great-grandfather, and great-great-grandfather all had histories of violence ranging from spousal abuse to serial murder. Each of them ended life the same way, death by suicide, each found hanging from a rope of blankets in his respective prison cell. Think for a minute. Would you want this child? If you did adopt him, wouldn't you keep your eye on him as he played with your other children? Would you watch him nervously as he looks at the butcher knife on the table? Would you leave the room as he watched a movie on television with your daughter? Well, he's you and he's me. That's what the gospel is telling us. Our birth father has fangs. He's referring to Satan, and I'll show you that in a scripture in a minute. And left to ourselves, we'll show ourselves to be just as serpentine as he. You guys, we haven't done this stuff because of grace. We haven't fallen. No, we've fallen that far. Our heart is that fallen. We haven't acted it out before Christ, we hadn't acted it out because of common grace. Um, And what I mean by that is when we are outside of Christ, we haven't bent the knee and received his forgiveness, we're not just a little orphan on the side of the street that he was endeared towards and thought, what cute chubby cheeks. You know what I'm saying? He did not choose and redeem any of us because of our endearing qualities. Because if he did, what if I'm not endearing anymore? I lose my salvation. Do you see what I'm saying? And so that's not the gospel, you know? He didn't save me based on my merits or cuteness. I was this foul to him because one sin is an abomination. It is abhorring to God. It's detestable. Because I didn't understand God's holiness, I didn't understand how disgusting sin was to him and how much 
one sin would make me this shocking and disgusting to God. Okay? So we have to see how black. Somebody told me the gospel is, is like if you put a black tablecloth on a table and then you put the diamond ring on it. The diamond is beautiful, accented. It always was beautiful, always was. But once you put the dark cloth down, you saw the sparkle of the diamond. And that's how the gospel is. If I don't understand I am this to God before Jesus' blood washes me, if I don't understand that, I don't understand how big a deal it was that he saved me from my sin, that he drew me out, and then that he adopted me. Right? Because Jesus, God, sat in a room with a... I'm I'm using a metaphor. God sat in a room with a metaphor, looked at my list of sins, and still adopted me. And I'm telling you, if I sat in a social worker's office and read all this, I I have not read something this hard, but I have. You know, when you look into adoption, you look at the list. You're supposed to check off. Would you be willing to consider a child with this... Um, family background, with this, you know, um, drug in their system, with this abnormality, with this psychological behavior. And you have to check it off. And it's scary. It's very scary. And guys, God checked every one of those off. He said, isn't that cool? He said, I sign up for that. I take it. You know, I take it and I receive that child as my own and they will represent me to the world. Is that not shocking? It's beautiful. It's unbelievable. So then when we go to adopt and we get to, we know this, we're able to walk out the hard moments. I used to lay in, here I'm telling stories even if, even though I said I didn't have time to, but I used to lay in bed with Hannah. It took about a year for her to get attached and, um, and I can tell more about that later, but I would lay in bed with her and she would turn her back to me. She was six when we got her, and she lived eight different places. So she'd turn her back to me, and I am an extremely loving person, but I also, if I don't, if it's not reciprocated, it doesn't take much for me to feel hurt and wounded and all kinds of, maybe that's everybody. But anyway, so, so I had to push through that. I would rub her back. And I would sing my little song that I sing to all my kids. Mommy loves Hannah. I love you so much. And guys, I was saying it to myself. I was not saying it to her. I was saying, I love you. You know, it felt like an act of the will, you know. And so if we know, if we know what we're representing to the world in that moment, there is wind in our sails. We're like... Jesus is this. The world must know, you know? So, all right, so keep it on going. I'm going to try to move fast. I have so much I want to tell you. Um, all right, so keep it on going. Look at John 8, 44, and we'll see that. We'll see that he says, You are of the Father, the devil, this is Jesus speaking, and your will is to do the Father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. I'm just going to keep reading. I've explained these scriptures and they support. Okay, good. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Where were you before Jesus saved you? You were following the course of the world. You were not cute. You weren't. You weren't. I was not cute. I was following the course of the world, which is detestable to God. Following the prince of the power of the air. Who is that? 
Satan. I was following Satan. Let's just say it, okay? I don't want to think it. I was a little preacher's kid, you know? I cared if I did the right thing. I didn't want to get in trouble. I was scared to death when the teacher said your mouth is going to get washed out with soap. I was the kid that worked on, you know? I didn't do anything wrong in that lady's class. But, but it was not that I was sinless. No. Ephesians says, I was following Satan, the spirit that is now at work in who the sons of disobedience. I was a son of disobedience before Jesus' work on the cross, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We all. Who? All. Right? No one gets out of this past, this origin. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. I carried out whatever desire my body and mind wanted to do. And were, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, like all of mankind. So this, this picture in Ezekiel is all of mankind's past. All right. Um, I want to give you more from the book. Um, but I just want to, I'm just going to sum it up. It's on page 16 if you want to grab it and read it. But he adopted two um, little boys from Russia, and he describes how when he went there, um, what, it was, what it was like to walk in and get those kids and them to, um, you know, uh, he didn't say this, but this is what another friend said. You know, in the orphanages in Russia, you walk through, and there's no sound. There's cribs and cribs and cribs and cribs of babies, but no sound, right? Do you know why there's no sound? No one came when they did cry, and they gave up, right? And he doesn't describe that story. That's from a friend. He describes a similar story of them coming and seeing these kids and what they looked like. And um, and so I want to explain to you that um, that picture... Um, can you jump down to where it says Russell Mooks Moore in his book Adopted for Life says the, pri- the primeval insurrection in the garden turned the universe into an orphanage. The heirs were gone, done in by their appetite. A serpent now holds the cosmos in captivity, driving along the dep- deposed rulers as his slaves. The whole universe is now an orphanage. I want to give you that quote so that you understand, so that we can picture that the whole universe, once sin came into the world, the whole universe became an orphanage. And and we didn't know there was anything better. He describes how when they put the two boys in the car, and first of all, when they walked out and the two boys saw the sunshine, they cried. They cried. Well, we cry when we don't like something. They had gotten used to the dark, damp, nobody comes orphanage. And they cried at the sun. And then they drove away with the two boys in the back seat, in in their car seats. They drove away with the boys crying and reaching backwards, right? Mm -hmm. We don't know until Jesus speaks into our heart. We don't know. We're in an orphanage where it's dead silent. There's no one crying for help. We, we don't think anyone's coming, you know. We don't even know, you know, spiritually, we don't even know we need help, right? And so all the universe became an orphanage. So jumping back right above that quote, it says, God's adoption of his children is the true adoption. We must understand the doctrine of adoption in order to understand the gospel. We must understand where we came from. 
and looking back at this, looking at your notes at the second um, thing there, you were adopted. If you are in Christ, you were adopted. Let's glance at Ezekiel 16, the two last verses, six through six through seven. It says, "Verse six. And when, this is the Lord speaking, okay, picture all the universe, all the universe is an orphanage. It's quiet, not a good quiet. It's quiet because of the pain and the darkness and the dampness and no one call, no one coming because there are no parents. And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. Everyone else thought you were disgusting because you were. But I passed by and I said, live. I said in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant in the field and you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. This is Israel's story. This is the believer's story. This is your story in Christ. And, and this is, can be anyone's story if they bend the knee to Christ, right? Number three, you are God's son. And I'll tell you why I say son and not sons and daughter, right? In just a minute. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, oh, I love that part. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his oh, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he blessed us in the beloved. Number one, in love. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons. This is so shocking. And we just talked about why this is so shocking. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 tells us, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love, the great what? Great love. The great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Even when, right? Even when we were dead in our sin. We got to understand We were not floating on the top of the ocean in a raft waiting for a saving boat to come by. We were on the bottom of the ocean white, right? You know, like we had, we had died, you know, there's not a, I need help. I'm in sin. (laughs) There is a, I'm dead in sin. You see what I'm saying? All right. So we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He came and he said, live. Made us alive together with Christ. So number two, you were predestined for adoption. Ephesians 1.5 says it right there. In love, he predestined us for adoptions as son. That is such a comforting word. It was planned out. If you're in Christ, you were planned to be a son of God. It was planned. In the spiritual, you have wanted, chosen, special to him, written across your head. He thought it out. He planned it out in love. He enjoyed it. He delighted in it. It was premeditated. God chose, next thing in your notes, God chose you before the foundation of the world is what verse 4 says. There was, there was time for second thoughts, cold feet. So, when I said that he enjoyed in it and delighted in it, 
cannot tell you, Heather knows how many years we waited for Hannah. We worked so hard. I'll, I'll, I'll tell her, you know, she learned English at six, and so early on I would tell her, we fought for you. Never doubt that we love you because we fought for you. And she'll say, fought? What are you talking about? <laughs> because, you know, being new to English and a young child, she's like, mommy got a sword out, you know? But, <laughs> wow, go mom, you know? But, but that is exactly what we did, you know? Similar to how we fought for her after she came home to be attached, to be healthy. On the other side of it, we fought to get to her. And let me tell you, there were times, I remember there were times where I thought, maybe this just isn't gonna happen. Maybe I'm not ready for it. But every time I thought that, I didn't like it. I always thought, I don't want that to be God's will. I don't want it to be what he wants. I told Heather, I, I felt like we, we spent a year waiting for the Philippines to give Hong Kong a passport for her. And, um, and I, I just constantly told my mom, if, if they do not give the passport, because they wanted to try to keep her under them for some strange reason. And um, I, told, I told my mom, every, uh, I will forever feel like I have a daughter just somewhere out there in the world. And when she turns 18, I will find her. I will find her and let her know she's my daughter. And so I want to I want to encourage you that that's how God is. He pursues. You you have written <laughs> predestined for adoption as sons on you. And so it's been planned out and you can take great comfort in the fact that it was premeditated and he had time for second thoughts, right? He had time for cold feet. And um, yet he picked us out as his own. Moore says you were the object of God's eternal choice. And John 6.37 says, All that the Father gives me, you feel like, okay. Um, all, oh, sorry. All that the Father gives me, if you need toys, I put a bunch by your dad over there. Oh, are you gleeful now that you got such a good nap? Um, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. I love God's language of certainty about his choice for us. I'm never going to cast you out. You can feel really comfortable and really secure in my arms because you're never going to be anywhere else, right? That's what we tell Hannah. Every night, um, every night, Hannah, when she goes to bed, um, Lewis has a routine. My husband has a routine. He bends down and he says, Hannah is daddy's girl for how long? And Hannah says back, forever. Because that will forever need to be repeated to her because of her moving eight places. When you're young, somebody you know kicks you out of their foster home, you think that that's a parent image, and you think if you do bad, they'll kick you out. That's not so with God, right? That's not so with, with our Savior. We did bad, so he saved us, right? <laughs> yes, so he's never going to cast us out, and that's yet another picture that we get to paint to the world with adoption. All right, so number three, you were predestined for adoption. Ephesians 5, we have Ephesians 5 right above that, and it says... Uh, Wait, did I just say that? I said the wrong thing. No, I did say it. You were predestined for adoption. So what were we predestined for? For adoption. 
God took the sinful offspring of Adam and lifted him to the highest place in his universe by adopting them as his own in Christ. That's what Russell Moore says. Do we realize what this means for God to adopt us, to, to predestine specifically for the purpose of adoption? Galatians 4, 7 says, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. But a son. That's, that's what we're predestined for. When it says predestined for adoption, it means predestined for the place of sonship in my family and my kingdom. All right, so... Romans 8.17 says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. This is one of the most shocking verses in the Bible, okay? Let me say it one more time. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. If sons, then fellow heirs with Christ. So that those verses that support... Um, the concept that we were predestined for adoption, they also lead us to the number four. You were predestined for adoption as sons, okay? Which, which is in Ephesians 1.5 also. Adoption is a legal entitlement, right? Right? When I adopted my two girls, I went to court to make it happen in the world's eyes. Inheritance didn't go to the daughters. It went to the sons, particularly the firstborn. So Paul couldn't have said in this passage, adopted as sons and daughters, without losing the point of inheritance. Do you see what I'm saying? New Testament believers would have concluded that women can pray, have relationship with God, but men inherit the promises, the rule, the land, the kingdom. That's that is so soothing to me that, that he specifically says sons there because I got to know that, that I, don't, I don't get to just pray to God. I'm, I am looked at as a son and get to inherit the promises, get to inherit, be a fellow heir with Christ and get to inherit all the things that Christ inherits. Um, so Galatians 3, 26 through 29 or Christ doesn't inherit that Christ uh, has. Galatians 3, 26 through 29. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, then you are Abraham's offsprings, heirs according to the promise. It's Christ that makes us the sons of God, and we get, and then we do get to receive, to inherit the promise. And our inheritance is everything that belongs to Christ, and that's incredibly shocking to me. And I, to be honest, let's talk to John about what that means later, <laughs> because I feel like I'm scared to say it. I'm scared to say it. Like it does not elevate us to Christ's spot. You know, we know that He is the Holy Redeemer, right? And so um, 
I, but this passage clearly states that we're fellow heirs with him. So we have to receive that. That is true, right? So, um, and a big part of how shocking the gospel is, how shocking his love is, how um, astounding it is. All right, number five, you were predestined for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ. We've got to understand that everything in the Ephesians verse, in love, he predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ. All of that leading up to it is through the work of Christ. He's the one that gets to be glorified through this, right? Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Number six, you were predestined for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. That last part, according of verse five in Ephesians one, according to the purpose of his will. All of this he did and he did it according to the purpose of his will. The purpose purpose of his will is to have sons that are holy and blameless before him. That's why he's done all this. I love that word, the purpose and the word will, the purpose of his will. I can know that this was done on purpose and it was his will. And that just makes me worship him all the harder. So last point, number three, the biblical doctrine of adoption is the real adoption. We have to know where we came from because it tells us who our Savior is and who we are in light of him. And and it causes us to more accurately walk with him and to be more fruitful to him. In him, we must understand the doctrine of adoption so that we understand the gospel, and we see it in this last um, passage. And you were dead in the trespasses. As we read this, let's just let it kind of sum up our thoughts tonight and kind of wrap it all together. Because what's interesting about this passage is it takes you through everything we just said. Okay, it starts with us being dead and ends with us being. Uh, Uh, adopted and fruitful. All right. So, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, this is the thing to worship over tonight. But God, I love those words. But God, he changes everything. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord for by grace, you have been saved through faith merit for by merit for by cuteness. No, for by grace, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Did I do anything? No, praise God. That means I can't do anything to screw it up. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. It also means I can't boast in myself. That's why we want to think it was our merit. So we can say, I'm saved, and I know why. You know, it's because of me. No, it's because of Jesus' work. He's the one that gets to boast, and we boast of him. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. For good works. This is the end of our adoption story. Hannah's 
life <coughs> obviously isn't ended at this, you know, she hasn't gone home to heaven yet, but I just told Heather earlier that um, God uh, graciously, um, right before Esther came home, a week before, God's timing to prepare her to be a sister and and be somebody that can be followed by Esther. She uh, received Christ into her heart, and she she had said those that almost every year um, for the past few years. But this time, it was different. It was different. She said it, and then lived it. She bore fruit, and the Holy Spirit was just at work. You know, you it was amazing. So that's the that is the. The, the end of our adoption story, the conclusion is that we, when he comes back for us, have fruit hanging off of us. We have built the kingdom. He adopted us and then, and then we built the kingdom. We, we were his children on earth and established uh, his rule and reign and spread the gospel. So, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we must know where we came from, what we have been saved from, and who our Savior is in order that we may accurately bear fruit in your notes and boast in Him. Amazing. When we accurately know this, we can bear fruit accurately and we can boast in Him accurately. So, all right. Okay, wait a minute. Okay. (laughs) I just wanted to, um, I would like you to give us a little bit of a background of what led you, you and Lewis, to begin thinking adoption, and what were some of the issues you faced in that, especially in the first adoption, since it was an international adoption? Yes. And then I'd sort of just like to open it up for questions yeah. for a few minutes, as long as Esther is happy. Mm-hmm. Heather's doing a good job. Oh, Man, that thing is magical. <laughs> we need a contraption at our house. Okay, so let's see. And I'm sure anybody else in this room that uh, is considering adoption or had a grandchild that adopted can tell stories like this. But when Israel, our oldest, was an infant, God just spoke in our heart and told us we had a little girl in China. And he does it. He does it different ways. You know, he writes. He always works within his character, but he writes stories differently because he's so creative. Right. And always does a new thing. But he spoke in our heart that we were supposed to adopt uh, that we had a little girl in China, that we were, had a daughter in China. And I remember uh, I was in working on my master's for just a little while, and I remember being there and seeing a billboard of of little girls from China on a on a paper and just just knew, you know, you just, my heart just felt torn every time. I just knew my daughter's in China. Is it time yet? Is it time yet? You know? And um, so we went to our friend that was... Um, a social worker at Bethany, and she said that unfortunately China had, um, you know, a whole lot of stipulations at that point, and that both of us had to be 30. And I'm five years younger than Lewis, so we had to patiently wait. And at 29 and a half, we got to start our paperwork. And at 29 and a half uh, is exactly when we went in to start getting paperwork, and we um, went in, and she said, Oh, well. China just, because they have such a long list of people, because we weren't going to adopt through Hong Kong, we were going to adopt through China. They're two separate adoptions. And because um, China has such a long waiting list, they're making it harder to adopt so that people won't, you know, put their you know, information and pursue adoption through them. And so they um, had made more stipulations. We had to have a net worth of 80000 and 
we're a pastor's family. We didn't have a net worth of 80,000. We didn't think we had a net worth of 80,000. This is just God. I love it. I love it. Um, he is just a God of miracles because he's huge and it's also easy for him. And so, um, my sister, my older sister-in-law, she's a very conniving person in a, in a kingdom way. <laughs> so I told her and she said, Oh, well, what about that land that Lewis's birth father signed over to him? And we're like, oh, we don't even think about that land being ours because it's a long story, but we really can't do anything with it. But it was worth like 50000 And so then we were able to piece together. We were counting comic books in the attic. I mean, it was just... <laughs> and we found, found the, you know, requirements and got to finally, um, you know, uh, get our paperwork into China. But then still, you know... Um, our paperwork was in China, and they said the wait is so long that it's like it's like chasing a piece of paper across the parking lot where it blows, and you're like, I'm almost to it, and then it blows further, you know, and you'll never catch it. That's how it felt being in the line of at China, with China, and we kept praying. This is also how God works. I know you all have testimonies of this. We kept praying. All right, God, this is a dead end line. Do you do you know that this is a dead end line? And um. And he just kept speaking to our heart. No, this is right where you're supposed to be. You're right in the right spot. And so it felt like, we knew this wasn't what he's doing, but it felt like he had backed us into a corner. We weren't going anywhere, you know? We were just going to sit in the corner, you know? And so um, that went on for, I, I've been losing track of time, but I know at least it was a couple of years. Um, and... And so went on for a couple of years and our social worker one day just called us up and said, Hey, I've got this four-year-old little girl in Hong Kong that I, I think you might be interested in. I thought of you guys, which is really interesting because we don't usually, I haven't seen any of our social workers that we've ever worked with go outside the parameters of what we've asked for and, and say, I have this child that I'm interested in. So that was, that was very providential because um, she just saw the picture and it wasn't even I think we, we had said maybe under maybe more like three or something I really don't remember but I listened to the voicemail and <laughs> this is my personality I listened to the voicemail and I go yes I just my heart leapt you know because that tends to be a way that God really um, you know speaks to me is it just resonates I, I hear I hear something I'm like that the Holy Spirit is pointing at that. That that is my daughter, you know, and um, and so uh, we immediately called her and said, yes, 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 yes. You know, you can tell us what what it entails later, but yes, you know, and um, and there's more story. We had we had they had there was a baby um a month before that, just a month before that, that oh goodness, her intestines were like outside of her body. She had a lot of medical needs, and it was. We've had a lot of situations like that waiting on our two girls where situations are presented to us and it's awful because my sweet husband is always ready to do it. And I'm the one being like, I can't. I want to, but I can't. So I share that to say, don't feel guilty if you're not the one equipped for a situation you hear about. Uh, it's frustrating and it, I think in the flesh I feel guilty, you know, but it wasn't God's will. And we, uh, she ended up being adopted by somebody else, and we wouldn't have heard about Hannah. And um, so then we waited two more years. They told us it'd be six months when we had the phone call about Hannah first. They said six months. Hong Kong adoptions are, they're actually really structured. Hong Kong is a great, a great 
kind of country. <laughs> it's, it's now part of China, but they don't think they are. And so um, it's a great you know, place to work with. They treat their orphans really well, and they're really organized. And from what we saw, they're not um, corrupt like a lot of places. I told Heather they sent us a several thousand dollar check after Hannah was back home saying, we closed out your account, Hannah's account, and so we just wanted to give you the extra money a government agency. So that may be the only place on earth that that is doing well with orphans, but um, but they are. And so our experience with Hong Kong itself was really good, but um, but it, it just always takes longer than they say. It's kind of like building onto your house or something, I assume. That's what people tell me. Just whatever they say, double it. And one of the loopholes or the hoops we had a problem with is the year-long wait for the Philippines because she's half Filipino um, in genetics. And the Philippines, when they went to ask for the passport for her, they said no. They just said no. Is that not... It's wrong. It's just wrong. And so they held her captive there for a year. And our social worker in Hong Kong that's just a godly woman, I still email with her, she said she came back from maternity leave and saw Hannah's you know, information still on her desk and said, because her maternity leave was like six months. She said, I came back, I saw it on, her, on my desk, and I said, enough. This is not happening. You know, because she actually, this is a cool story, she's the one that saw Hannah first in one of the care facilities and Hannah probably shouldn't say this but Hannah was throwing food and was very rebellious Hannah has a very strong spirit she was she was their favorite because she's got a lot of charisma and she would win the workers over but she also has a lot of spunk and she was throwing food and something about her Chong looked at her and said I'm going to get her out of this um you know, government system and in with, she worked with a crisis pregnancy center in Hong Kong. So Hannah was able to come into the crisis pregnancy center and, and Chong was a big part of getting the passport too. So God used her, had her in the right place. So. Awesome. Does anyone have any questions or? I talk enough that you probably don't have enough <laughs> questions because I've already said it all. Esther was an easier adoption. She was, um, in some ways, she was from a crisis pregnancy center in Memphis. And I'm really, really thankful we got to be a part of that because, to me, that different adoptions have different um, enjoyments and strengths, you know, just things you're, you get to specifically do in the kingdom with them. And with her, it felt like we were getting to say, there's another choice other than abortion. You may be scared to death and in a horrible situation, but your only choice is not the abortion. Abortion. There's, there's the church, and we are going to walk next to you and, and minister to you and give you another option. And so that was a cool thing about that adoption, yeah. Do you know her birth parents, the um, birth mother said... You know, I don't want to have an open adoption, don't want to, and not out of bitterness, just I, I need to seal this and walk on. And so um, I think she has decided to get the pictures that we send every other month to the adoption agency, and after a year, it'll be once a year. Um, but, but the birth father, he, he said, I guess it's called a semi-open adoption. He said, I would like the pictures every other month, and... Um, and he wrote us a letter, too. I, I wrote him a letter, and then he wrote us a letter. So we have a little bit of contact with him. 
which is which is neat because I told Heather earlier the fun thing about that is you get to you get to see we had to watch a video of birth mothers um, with our first adoption. They were all sitting in a circle just talking about um, their experience. And what they said is that that because they had chosen adoption for their child and then walked through the grieving process in a healthy way, they had the adoption agency counselors to walk through grieving with them. And you know, basically because the church had been there, right? They were so glad they made that choice that they had no regret. This was a, a group of like six to ten women. They said, I healed after a few months. I grieved. It wasn't that it wasn't hard. I grieved, but I healed. And I'm so glad I chose adoption. And um, and I don't regret it. So that was that's another part of the church ministering. Yeah. So. Go ahead. Did somebody else? How long did it take for Hannah to finally bond with you? Okay, so yes, I would say a year is when we felt a click. I felt a click. She was never mean to Lewis. <laughs> and that's for a lot of reasons that we can talk about later. But, you know, just she had always had female caregivers and and they had all left. So she was testing me, you know. Even she had eight different places. One place she was kicked out of for bad behavior. One um, place, uh, you know, was a care facility. So it's, uh, you know, one woman on a shift and another woman. And so you learn, you learn that the women in your life, the mother figures are going to leave. And so I think there was definitely a, a, an attitude of how bad can I be? Will she eventually leave me, you know? And so I don't think she ever had a relationship with a man and needed to test Lewis, you know? And so I just read a ton of stuff on attachment and clung to the Lord for dear life and really, really was broken in a lot of painful and hard ways, and it it grew me. But um, I remember reading that attachment takes about a year if you study attachment for a birth child, that first year, mothers usually nurse for a year. Just the normal development of attachment is a year. And so um, because of that, I'm the only one that bottle feeds Esther to teach her that I will... Moms tend to be the ones that nourish their kids with food and those physical nourishments that we were establishing attachment. And so for a year, Hannah was... Oh, it was really, really hard. People, she had attachment disorder, and people call that um, mom attackers, and that's how it felt. It felt like I was being attacked. But right at a year, something clicked. It, it's just something I could kind of discern and feel. Right at a year, something clicked, and there was an attachment. And from then on, it was like there was a there was a layer of attachment, and we just had to build onto that and not let this get destroyed because it was still so fragile. And you could tell, given the wrong situation or the wrong phrasing or things like that, like our family would, Lewis would maybe joke, you know, you know, guys and their sons, he'll say, you're the good kid, you know, you know, or something. You're just being silly with this, with our sons. You're the bad kid for the day. And they're just, they just think that's hilarious, the three of them, because guys joke in weird ways, right? And, um, and, 
I, I had to tell him, okay, so this kind of sarcastic joking is not going to happen with Hannah, right? You know, because it will tear up all that foundation. I couldn't let anyone, anyone watch her. She would shift, shift attachment immediately because that's what she had learned. It was very hard. We finally established my mom as a grandmother because what it is is she did not understand the family roles. And so what we were doing was teaching her, this is a mother. This is a father. These are siblings. This is a grandmother. This is a grandfather. And so because in her world, even when she was in the foster home the last two years, which seems to be a pretty good spot and a healing spot in some ways, she, um, a social worker would come check on the foster mom to see if she's doing a good job. So that tells you, oh, the foster mom's not in charge. So she carries that over to me. This lady's not in charge. Do you see what I'm saying? Um, another person would come and take her to the doctor and get shots and things like that. Okay, so that person takes care of my you know, medical and physical needs. You know, so she didn't understand what a mother, mother was, you know? And so we were able to establish what a grandmother was, and that was helpful because then my mom could give us short dates. Our first date was just dinner, and we ran up to the Mexican restaurant, and we were done with our meal. And I said, Louis, I can't go back. I can't do it <laughs> because it wasn't long enough. But, you know, God sustains you. And um, so she, at a year, we just had to keep building and, and making sure that no one, I, did, I couldn't let anyone. There was a teenage girl at church that was great with kids and would put her in her lap. And, and I, at first, I didn't know about attachment disorder, and I let it happen, and it was really bad. She started attaching to that girl and treating me really badly. And, mm-hmm. yeah, it, she just... She just was broken. Mm-hmm. What about your boys? How, did yeah. they, you know, How old were they? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> yes. Okay, so this picture is how old they looked. So let's see. Um, probably about 10 and 7. She was six. Yes, yes, that's exactly right. 10 and 7. And that's another interesting thing. She never was unkind to Lewis or my then 7-year-old. It was definitely mostly on me, but my <laughs> oh, it's fine. Um, my ten-year-old is the other one that she really tore up secondarily to me, and we think it was because in her foster family that she was there for two years, there was a daughter that was the same age as Israel, and so we think that she was being loyal to that daughter because it was it was um, somewhat of a sister relationship. It wasn't a perfect relationship. Hannah remembers it as a perfect relationship, but the foster mom and social worker tell me it was not a perfect relationship. But it's all she knew, and she had some level of attachment, and therefore they they think and we think was trying to be loyal. So she, she was really rough on Israel, and um, God made Israel perfect. This is what I want to encourage you. I do not want to tell you this. For any of you or to or you know your fam- friends and family to be scared to adopt. I tell you all this and share my story to say, look how big God is. He may have taken us through hard, hard times, but I would not know him like I do. I would not get to have further holiness, you know, further getting to be like him and not Monica of the flesh. You know, we want that flesh to die. It's painful, but we want it. And so we want to be like him. So I, I, I would not have it any other way, not have it any other way, but it was very hard to watch Israel get attacked, but Israel didn't know it. This is the great thing. Israel, 
don't know if you saw this. I, I'll just tell you about a story we told about when you babysat him and something he said to you, and we're still like, I can't believe he said that. But Israel's just real happy-go-lucky. Just real happy-go-lucky. And so for the most part, like still to this day, he's like, I don't remember it being bad or hard at all. He's like, I don't think it was bad. But he did, in the, in the thick of it, he did come to me and he said, I got to leave, Mom. I got to get out of here. And when your 10-year-old says, because that's how it felt. It felt like our home wasn't safe anymore. And so you will, if you choose to adopt from a hard situation, you will go through hard times. And and I know, you know, we've experienced it in other ways in life, right? And where we want to get out of there, <laughs> you know? But God is faithful, and he has a plan, and he's in the midst of it, whether we can see it or not, and he was in the midst of it, and Israel isn't scarred. He um, is extremely loving. Israel has the ability to love for a duration that's almost shockable, and I know it's because of that, um, because he just kept on loving her, just kept on loving her in his happy-go-lucky little personality. (laughs) So, yeah. Thank you for letting me share so much. Well, Nancy and Michelle, you know that Jess is going to adopt, right? Yeah, so we have told us. Oh, you are. So Tell me. Boys that are six and eight, biological boys, and then the yeah. four and a half year old daughter in Haiti, and we're like weeks away from bringing her home. <gasps> so we've been in the process for three and a half years now, wow. and we're like just a couple Jess. weeks away from bringing her home. So. That's yeah. going to be hard. I mean, <laughs> I know for you too, but also for you to say. Okay, I've already met her. We know we're going to get her. Yes. And yes. now we have to wait and miss three and a half years. Because when we first, like, first Skyped with her, she's one and a half, and wow. she's four and a half. Oh, so you have the same story. So, yeah, it's been really, really... And we were with her for two weeks in January, so it's been almost a year since we saw her. And wow. So, yeah, it, and, we've, and we've FaceTimed and Skyped a lot through the last year. Is that just because of red tape? Haiti adoptions are all really long. They told us two to three years, which was kind of what we expected, and it's been closer, it's going to be closer to four years by the time it's all done. I've heard they don't really want to adopt to Americans, is that true? Um, I don't know. They just don't prioritize like adoption or arts and care. They just kind of... There's nothing to hurry in the trial. Oh, maybe that's it. Oh, well, I think it is. Yeah. culture of... Yeah. Yes. You're right. They're highly. It's more that culture. You're right. Yeah. He just kind of looks at orphans as like a, a lower caste almost, and like yeah, it's, it's not a priority. It's not a priority because they're not important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But so, can you ask what orphanage you like there? Yeah, it's through Three Angels. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's in Port-au-Prince in the capital, so it's a really uh, small orphanage. Um, so how did you guys um, come to that decision to go? Um, well, we knew right off the bat that we wanted to do an international adoption, and her story kind of. So when we started, I was 27 or 28, and uh, <clears throat> we had been married for I don't know, like five years at that time. So we really felt called to an international adoption, and then we found out we weren't eligible to adopt anywhere. <laughs> We had to be older or married longer or have a higher net worth or all of these different factors. Wow. And so then we were just like, okay, God, like, 
Yes. Why do we feel this like mm-hmm. call to adopt internationally, and then there's mm-hmm. all these closed doors? Like it just felt like, mm-hmm. are we like interpreting what he wants for us wrong? Should we just so yeah. we were just praying and going like, okay, I don't know what we're gonna do. Can yeah. we just wait? Like we felt like our boys. We wanted to keep our boys close to English with our daughter, and we just thought like mm-hmm. we were ready, but maybe God has told us we weren't ready. Well. Then we got an email from an agency that we had been in contact with saying, Haiti is changing their minimum age and minimum marriage requirement. And so now you qualify. Oh, praise the Lord. They changed it to you only had to be married for five years and you only had to be 30. And they knew it would be a few-year process, so they knew by the time that... I think I'm good. I think I can take her now. It used to be 35. So... Then we got this email, and my husband read the email, and I read the email, like, he was at work, and I was somewhere else, and we called each other, and we're both like, did you see me? <laughs> and we're both like, okay, Katie, like, we just knew that last year we were going to adopt them, so. Now, your little girl has some medical issues. Did Hannah have medical issues? Um, she was considered special needs because at first, she had a lot of medical issues. She was in the hospital for the first, thank you for the first four months of her life. And um, she was a pound and a half when she was born. Wow. So she had all kinds of medical issues from that. Um, and then her special needs changed into emotional special needs because of the attachment disorder. And I was going to say, you know, um, that you were just talking about, you know, your story of, of how it's hard. You have to push to, you know, I likened it to the mission field. I feel like my friends that have gone in the mission field, they keep trying to get to the mission field and they get walls and they have to keep asking God, is this what you want? And keep pushing and and faith and asking God to move mountains. Well, you know, she was an easier adoption with attachment, but we had two two definite failed adoptions before her, like in between Hannah and her. And multiple, you know, this child is probably going to get matched with you, and then it doesn't happen, and you know that kind of thing. And so, it's a lot of disappointment, ups and downs. Yeah, yeah. And you have to let God. Yeah. Little Thanos, and then another one was Northwest. You where? In Haiti. Cool. In you worked in the orphanages? Mm-hmm. Can I just, I, I know this is a sort of personal question, but will your insurance help take care of her medical needs minute, when she gets here? Yeah, the minute she sets foot on American soil, she's a citizen, she's under our insurance, she's part of our family, so then our insurance will cover her. But we couldn't, she's blind in one eye, and she probably needs surgery on her good eye also, but we couldn't do anything until that moment. Until she gets set her foot on her. So that's kind of what I'm navigating right now. I was trying to figure out, like, all of the doctors are scheduled months out, and she'll be here in a few months. So, like, how do I get her to print right now without having her here and having her eye insurance and making a lot of phone calls and just trying to figure out how that's going to look. And she speaks Creole, and we only speak a little bit of Creole. So, like, the beginning is going to be rough because to say, like, we don't speak the same language, and you, you need eye surgery. And oh, yes. So we, I had we, to take Hannah to the doctor <laughs> on day, like, three. And, yes, you want to reassure them and explain. and Yeah. But there's no way. 
How long did it take Hannah to learn English? I was going to encourage you with that. You've probably already heard this. It was like, goodness, they told us within just a couple months she'll be saying a lot. Within three months you'll be, I think it was three months they said, you'll be completely able to communicate. By six months she'll be fluent. And they were dead on. It was yeah, like, that's kind of what I've heard everywhere. Yes. And kids pick it up. Hey, yeah. you. It's I'm not amazing. really worried about her learning English. I'm probably just the most worried about that very beginning. Yeah. yeah. That initial like, yes. communication. Yeah. And we've learned some Creole, but not a lot. <laughs> we'll see what your daughter does. But um, I learned several Cantonese phrases because I was like, I want to reassure. So I learned things like, Mommy loves you, or Good girl, or just things like that. Yeah. Well, um, she, because. There's so much going on in their minds, but we think it was because she wanted to identify with us and knew that we weren't from Hong Kong and couldn't necessarily speak the language. I would say it to her, and she just looked at me with a blank stare, and she never spoke. We literally have never heard her speak Cantonese. She would not speak it in front of us, we think, because she wanted to identify with us. Isn't that fascinating? So So he thinks that she's totally lost it in her memory. Probably. We hope it's somewhere in there. My dad even bought, you know, Rosetta Stone Chinese, and um, we hope that she can get it back. But no, I tried to. We went even went to Chinese classes, but it's such a hard language. Yeah, it's so hard. Yeah, it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. So maybe you think yours will keep the language. I don't know. Language. We don't really know anyone else that speaks Korean. So yeah. The really like neat thing since so we moved to Marquette a year ago, and uh, we go to Bethel Baptist and. So we're at Bethel, and uh, someone says to me, oh, you're adopting from Haiti. You must be Graydon's wife. And I'm like, I don't know who Graydon is. My husband is. (laughs) I know who my husband is. (laughs) And they're like, no, he's adopting from Haiti, too. And he just moved here. I'm like, okay, well, you meet this person. So anyways, I meet this man, and he's like, yeah, my wife is moving next month, and we're adopting three kids from Haiti. Really? And they're they're just a few months behind us in the process. Um, but they're going with three kids from Haiti, three wow. siblings that are close in age with our daughter. Um, so wow. she's got to know some other kids adopted from Haiti within our same church, within the same age. And we're in the same homeschool group, too. So, like, they're going to spend a lot of time together. What a cool. gift from God. But, um, yeah, so that was something that I was like, what? Like, another Haiti family, like, right here in our same street. So she might keep Creole. Huh? Maybe because they the, might talk the three siblings them. might yeah. keep it and speak it, but I don't know. I don't, it doesn't yeah. seem like a lot of kids do. Yeah, Years ago, we had a pastor's wife speak at the gala, and they had just adopted three kids out of Poland. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> it was very, very difficult for them. Because this uh, in Poland, similar to the Russian the, the parents just said, "I don't want to pay for you anymore," and just abandoned the drive the kids up to the orphanage, wow. drop them off, and we'll come visit occasionally. You know, so they always know they're living life outside, oh. and we're here. And it was three of them, and I think they had some more or uh, uh, siblings, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, one kid bonded with them, one kid totally rejected them, and one child, the youngest, who was like six or seven, but he was very tiny, mm-hmm. um, he sort of reverted to babyhood, and yeah. so he just wanted to be treated like a baby, 
I think they have a good relationship with him now. It's been years. Yeah. But um, the daughter was very angry. Yeah. Uh, she was probably the oldest one, so she was like 12, mm. 10, 11, 12, somewhere in there. And she was very, very angry mm. yeah. that um, she had to leave, you know, yeah. even yeah. though her parents and clearly stated we'd rather have the bottle than you, you know. So um, mm -hmm. I just remember they went through, and they they got hit with something. They cashed in her um, IRAs oh, from her cool. work experiences to do it, and they got hit with this huge penalty, mm -hmm. tax penalty, mm -hmm. because they had cashed in their IRAs mm -hmm. to do the adoption. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. How long ago was that? That was one of the early years. So we came here in 2002. So it was probably like 2004 or five that we had her yeah. speak. And oh, they'd only, they're you know, they're not, they're I don't think they're up there. They're, 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 they're in Madison, which was her area to begin with. It may have been both of their areas. They were pastoring in Barrica at the time. But, uh, yeah, I just, I just know that it was just really hard for them to... Try to do the good thing of keep the siblings <laughs> together, and then it, in some ways, in the beginning at least, it worked against them. Yeah. But they just kept going. Mm -hmm. yeah. You had to, and yeah. you will have yeah, to. Yeah, you do. Yeah, our daughter's been in the same orphanage since she was one and a half, and has had the That's same helping that whole time. So well, she's got one nanny who she loves, who yes. she's attached to, who. It's going to be really hard in the beginning because that nanny's like a mom practically wow. to her. So she's going to be breaking that attachment with her. But our hope is that because yes. she's attached to that nanny, That's right. that she'll hopefully be, she knows how to attach and she knows yes. what this loving she's got healthy. attachment looks like. So I want to encourage you. We I have a friend through the adoption agency we adopted with in the Memphis area that adopted, literally they were in Hong Kong like a week before us. So we both adopt from Hong Kong mm -hmm. at the same time, and her son, like you said, was with a foster mom all those years, and he was attached. It was a healthy relationship. And so when she and her husband took him from the apartment, he got in the taxi with them and screamed bloody murder. Mm -hmm. He wept. He cried his eyes out. Yeah. He was torn from her, mm -hmm. and she was attached to him. So you know, it was like yeah. That's so what she that's said. How it's probably going to be. But let me give you good news. <laughs> so she said, but she said at the time she looked at her husband and said, "Are we doing the right thing?" Well, keep in mind that woman couldn't adopt him, so right. they, they yeah. were doing the right thing. Their but yes, job. yes. Mm -hmm. But she said, "Are we doing the right thing?" I feel terrible. But what happened with him is he continued the next few days while they were in Hong Kong, continued to grieve. But once he got home, he never grieved. He he made healthy attachments. And like you just said, this is how I picture it. The thing in her, in his mind, that is attachment. Let's say there's a giz, you know, a gizmo in, in your brain that is attachment. It wasn't broken. It was healthy. He knew how to trust, how to build attachment. He was healthy. Mm -hmm. So he was grieving, and that wasn't bad. Right. And so he naturally and in a healthy way attached to his family, and it all went well. Well, my sweet girl <laughs> ate places so many different mom figures it was broken and so when we took her from the apartment let me tell you what she did 
She left the apartment. She hardly said goodbye. She did not care. She wheeled her own suitcase out the door like, like this, you know? She was a woman of the world. She had no attachments, even with the woman that had cared for her for two years. She had learned to be independent in the world. Mm-hmm. So we had to help that attachment heal and, right. then, and then teach her, you're not independent. You need us. Right. And so... You're right. I think you're in a good situation. Well, I think but it'll do. be really hard in the beginning. Just yeah, right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Isa. Isa? Yep. Okay. Yep. Keep that in prayer. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet kid. One of the things that came up tonight that stirred my heart was the extreme amount of time and the, the uh, hoops that you have to jump through. And I really think that we should be praying as a community that... And some of them are put in place so people don't abuse it. And I understand that. But if they know you have the financial back, if they know you are in a stable marriage, why should it take four years or three or whatever to get your child? So that instead of getting them at one or two, you're getting them at five, six or whatever. So I think that's something that we can take in and say, Lord, just bring it back to our memories over and over again that time can be accelerated for these processes so families can be united sooner. And that's how, because I feel like sometimes people feel like, how can I care for the orphan if I'm not called to be the one adopting? And you just nailed it intercede and fight for them because it doesn't have to take four years. We can pray that God will move mountains and get them to their homes quickly and not while Hannah's story is one of in Christ I'm an overcomer and it points to God's glory. We should still pray that they won't have to go through that if it's the Lord's will, you know? Get them in home. Well, obviously it took less time with Esther. <laughs> yes, she was only a month old. Wow. Isn't that, that a, was here? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. But, and we did wait a long time, but she wasn't waiting. You know, yeah. we waited and we had and you failed adoptions. The failed and, adoption, which in some ways is like going through a miscarriage. It was. Because you, you had your hopes, and your hopes you attached. are attached yeah. to that baby girl or that baby boy that they yes. say yes. is available yes. and you're going to get them. Yeah. And then you go through the disappointment yes. and the heartache of that. And then you're of something else and you go through that cycle all over again. I think it's human nature to avoid suffering. And Uh one of those passages we read says if you suffer. Yes, Jesus Uh says if you suffer with me. And so what I told Lewis one time after one of the failed adoptions is we can't avoid suffering. We shouldn't not stay in this line because it hurts. And, and he made a good point. As a father, he needs to make sure he doesn't hurt his kids and wife for no purpose or repeatedly if, if it's not God's will. But, there, but if it is God's will, we shouldn't shrink back from it. We should press on even signing up for getting hurt in the defense of this little one and for you know, God's glory so, and for sanctification. And. I'm always struck by Paul's story of conversion where God tells um, Ananias to go pray for him. And he says, 
uh, you need to tell him what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. He was like laid out right from the very beginning. This isn't just you're going to get chocolate and you're going to walk down this golden brick road and there are going to be flowers. It's what great things you must suffer for me. And so Paul goes into this relationship with a clear view of what the end game looks like. Because John preached out of Acts a few weeks ago and he was talking about Paul being stoned. And that the next day he leaves the city and I'm going, you know, either he had a miraculous healing or he leaves the city barely able to move. And it's like, either way, it hurt when he got stoned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it could have been that he hurt for weeks and months after wow. he broken bones had and scars like or or God miraculously oh, intervened and said, point. I'm lifting up those bruises and I'm repairing that collarbone and I'm healing that broken leg. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. and the contusions. Either way, it's Yes. It's a miraculous picture of God's intervening grace. Yes. Yeah. Our, our culture, though, is so we're not suffering. It's like it's not part. We don't want discomfort. <laughs> yeah. Everything easy and like what you were saying is like it gets really hard. You feel like, well, it's just really God's mm-hmm. will. Yeah. And like it hit me like how easy it is to walk over there and get an abortion, and then it takes years. To adopt, yeah. Oh, yeah. but it's like why? And, why? and that's because of the enemy. I mean, it's like it is because of the enemy. Because of death. I mean, it's like yes. yeah, just boom, go do it. But You're yeah, right. To make that choice. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's something you have to fight. You know, it's like to persevere and to just go through that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just so contrary. You know, yes. to our our flesh and like yes. what we naturally. And it hit me as you pointed out that that Esther didn't have to wait. And so that is God's work. Well, it hit me. Esther didn't have to wait because the crisis pregnancy center that she was ministered to from, it is a godly, it's not, you know, I'm sure that, I'm sure most crisis pregnancy centers are doing it for the Lord. That just, I can't imagine. But their purpose, you know, they are hating. So, so that's the church. It's like we need to pray more for it, but it is happening. The church is succeeding and and caring for orphans, and God's moving mountains. Let's pray for more of it. You know? Yeah. The one thing about Paul too is that, in a way, he was on the other end of what he had been doing all along the Christians. And so he was in a position, like you were just saying tonight, he really knew who he had been. Knew where he came from. He was very grateful for who he was now. In comparison. Those of us, the more you know that, the more you can go through your day, knowing that it... It doesn't blindside you. No. Because you know your eternity is at stake and you've got a great gift. (laughs) So, you know, know, I realize that the more you can do whatever he's called you to do. I've heard that the Chinese Christians have talked about uh, ministering in the Muslim world. And they say, we will be the ones to do it because we know how to die. Because that's oh, been a part of their wow. culture. And they just assume it is 
It's part of the cost of the kingdom, but it has a greater reward. And so they're not afraid of it. American Christians avoid discomfort. They do not. They see the bigger picture. Yes. Oh, that we can see the bigger picture. Well, I just want to thank you guys for coming out. It's not as late on this as the walk says. Oh, good. Uh, it's an hour off. I was like, it's my bedtime. Baby. <laughs> um, but I just want to uh, close in prayer. And I just want to encourage you guys to come again tomorrow. Uh, tonight we got to uh, hear Monica's heart and her passion for the Lord. And I think it'll be just as good tomorrow, but um, Emily, I just want to encourage you too, if you know somebody that was thinking of coming, but they're saying, oh, I just can't afford it, um, you know, that shouldn't be a, a detriment, so encourage them to come, we'll figure out a way to make sure that their cost is covered, so um, Father, we just want to thank you that we are a part of kingdom culture. And I just ask that you would make us more aware and uh, open our eyes and our hearts to how you want us to walk in the kingdom and how you want us to be co-laborers with you, Lord, and the fellow heirs with you. And I like that thought of that we are all called to be sons so that we can share the inheritance. And I just ask that Monica would get a good night's sleep tonight, that Esther would sleep well, and that we would come back tomorrow ready to receive, that our hearts would already be plowed, and that we would be ready to receive everything that you want us to. And we just love you. We appreciate you. We are grateful to you for uh, opportunities that we have to come together and um, just learn from one another. Thank you that we... We can learn one from another, no matter where our position and how long we've been following you. We have opportunity to learn from one another. And I just, I just thank you for Monica being willing, for Lewis being willing to let her come. And uh, just bless her family back in Memphis, Lord, tonight. Um, we just bless your name. Amen.